This is section 11 of Mark Twain's Journal Writings, volume 1, by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Taken from Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, The Century, a popular quarterly magazine, January 1885, printed Jim's Investments and King Solomon, by Mark Twain. Read by John Greenman. Jim knowed all kinds of signs. He said he knowed most everything. I said it looked to me like all the signs was about bad luck, and so I asked him if there weren't any good luck signs. He says, Mighty few, and they ain't no use to body. What you want to know when good luck's come for? Want to keep it off? And he said, If you's got hairy arms and hairy breasts, it's a sign that you're going to be rich. Well, there's some use in a sign like that, cause it's so fur ahead. You see, maybe you's got to be pole a long time first, and so you might get discouraged and kill yourself if uh, didn't know by the sign that you're going to be rich by by. You got hairy arms and a hairy breast, Jim? <laughs> What's the use to ask that question? Don't you see eyes? Well, are you rich? No, but I've been rich once, and going to be rich again. Once I had fourteen dollars, but I tucked to speculating and got busted out. What'd you speculate in, Jim? Well, first I tackled stock. What kind of stock? Why, livestock. Cattle, you know. I put ten dollars in a cow. But I ain't going to risk no more money in stock. The cow up and died on my hands. So you lost the ten dollars? No, I didn't lose it all. I only lost about nine of it. I sold a hide and taller for a dollar and ten cents. You had five dollars and ten cents left? Did you speculate any more? Yes. You know that one-legged nigger that belongs to old Mr. Bradish? Well, he sort up a bank, and say anybody to put up in a dollar would get four dollars more at the end of the year. Well, all the niggers went in, but they didn't have much. I was the only one that had much. So I stuck out for more than four dollars, and I said if it didn't get it, I'd start a bank myself. Well, of course that nigger wanted to keep me out of the business, because he say they weren't business enough for two banks, so he say I could put in my five dollars, and he'd pay me thirty-five at the end of the year. So I done it. Then I reckoned I'd invest the thirty-five dollars right off and keep things a-moving. And there was a nigger named Bob that had catched a wood flat, and his master didn't know it. And I bought it off him and told him to take the thirty-five dollars when the end of the year come. But somebody stole the wood flat that night, and next day the one-legged nigger say the bank's busted. So they didn't none of us get no money. What did you do with the ten cents, Jim? Well, I was going to spend it, but I had a dream, and the dream told me to give it to a nigger named Balaam. Balaam's ass, they call him for short. He's one of their um, chuckleheads, you know, but he's lucky, they say, and I see I weren't lucky. The dream said, let Balaam invest the ten cents, and he'd make a raise for me. Well, Balaam, he tucked the money, and when he was in church he heard the preacher say that whoever give to the poor lend to the Lord, 
and bound to get his money back a hundred times. So Bellum he took and give the ten cents to the pool, and laid low to see what was going to come of it. Well, what did come of it, Jim? Nothing never come of it. I couldn't manage to collect that money no way, and Balaam he couldn't. I ain't going to lend no more money, got to see the security. I'm bound to get your money back a hundred times, the preacher says. If I could get the ten cents back, I'd call it square. I'd be glad of the chance. Well, it's all right anyway, Jim, long as you're going to be rich again some time or other. Yes, nice rich now, come to look at it. I owns myself, nice worth eight hundred dollars. But livestock's too resky, Huck. I wished I had the eight hundred dollars, and somebody else had the nigger. I read considerable to Jim about kings, and dukes, and earls, and such, and how gaudy they dressed, and how much style they put on, and called each other your majesty, and your grace, and your lordship, and so on, instead of mister. Jim's eyes bugged out, and he was interested, and he says, I didn't know there was so many of them. I ain't heard about none of em, scarcely but old King Solomon, unless you counts them kings that's in a pack your cards. How much do a king get? Get? I says. Why, they get a thousand dollars a month, if they want it. They can have just as much as they want. Everything belongs to them. Ain't that gay? And what they got to do, huh? They don't do nothing. Why, how you talk. They just sit around. No, is that so? Of course it is. They just sit around, except maybe when there's war. Then they go to the war. But other times they just lazy around, or go hawking. Just hawking and sp— Shh! Dear noise. We skipped out and looked. But it weren't nothing but the flutter of a steamboat's wheel away down coming around the point. So we come back. Yes, says I. And other times, when things is dull, they fuss with the parliament. And if everybody don't get just so, he whacks their heads off. But mostly they hang around the harem. Round the which? Harem. What's the harem? No, the place where the, he keeps his wives. Don't you know about the harem? Solomon had one. He had about a million wives. Why, yes, that's so. I, I done forgot it. A harem's a Bowden house, I reckon. Most likely they has rackety times in the nursery. And I reckon the wives quarrels considerable, and that creased the racket. Yet they say Solomon the wisest man that ever live. I don't take no stock in that. Because why? Would a wise man want to live in the midst of the such a blim-blammin' all the time? No, deed he wouldn't. A wise man would take him build a biler factory, and then he could shit down the biler factory when he want to rest. Well, but he was the wisest man, anyway, because the widow, she told me so, her own self. I don't care what the widder say. He warn't no wise man, nother. He had some of the dat fetches ways I ever see. Did you know about that child that he was gwine to chop in two? Yes, the widow told me all about it. Wild Ann, warn't that the beatinest notion in the world? You just taking a look at it a minute. That's the stump. There. That's one of the women. Here's you. That's 
de other one. It's Solomon. And dish here dollar bills to child. Before you claims it, what does I do? Does I shin around amongst the neighbors and find out which and you de bill do belong to and, and hand it over to the right one, all safe and sound, the way that anybody that had any gumption would? No. I take and whack the bill in two and give half in it to you and the other half to the other woman. That's the way Solomon was going to do with the child. Now, I want to ask you, what's the use to have a bill? Can't buy nothing with it. And what's the use of half a child? I wouldn't give dern for a million of them. But hang it, Jim, you've clean missed the point. Blame it, you've missed it a thousand mile. Who, oh, me? Go along. Don't talk to me about your pants. I reckon I knows sense when I sees it. And they ain't no sense in such doings as dat. Dispute warn't about half a child. Dispute was about a whole child. And a man that think he can settle a spute about a whole child with a half a child don't know enough to come in out in the rain. Don't talk to me about Solomon, Huck. I knows him by the back. But I tell you, you don't get the point. Blame the pint. I reckon I knows what I knows. And mind you, the real pint is down further. It's down deeper. It lays in the way Solomon was raised. And you take a man that's got only one or two chillin'. Is that man going to be wasteful of children? No, he ain't. He can't afford it. He knows how to value them. But you take a man that's got a, about five million children running around the house, and it's different. He is soon chop a child two as a cat. There's plenty more. A child or two, more or less. Want no consequence to Solomon. Dad, fetch him. End of Jim's Investments and King Solomon by Mark Twain and end of Mark Twain's Journal Writings, Volume 1, read by John Greenman.